Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is going to be a really interesting episode. We've had some very interesting things happen in the world of SEO over the last week. And so uh, I'm really excited to unpack these things. Uh, We've been getting a lot of questions on Twitter and uh, a lot of emails, too, about several of these topics. So uh, I'm really looking forward to unpacking what I can for you. We're going to talk about some really important information for affiliate websites, even more than I've talked about in the last few episodes. We had some interesting comments from John Mueller um, about using RHEL sponsored. And and so I'm going to talk about that and a few other things uh, important for affiliate sites. We also are going to talk about what Google is doing with spam. It seems that Google is finding ways to make it so that low quality content doesn't even get indexed. So if you're having trouble getting content indexed, uh, we'll talk about what we're seeing here. I have a bunch of theories on what Google's doing, and so I'll uh, unpack those for you as well. And then the other topic that has been a big discussion amongst SEOs this week is the closure of JumpShot. Uh, JumpShot provides a lot of clickstream data to tools like Moz and SEMrush, and so we're going to talk about what that means for SEOs as well, and a bunch of other things as well. This is episode number 118 of our newsletter. So if you want to um, read the corresponding notes that we have in our newsletter, uh, because there's usually much more in newsletter than I can cover in podcast, you can go to mariehaines.com slash newsletter and episode number 118 will cover all of the things that I'm talking about here, plus a whole bunch more. So we always start the episode with uh, possible algorithm updates. Something is happening. We saw a number of clients with changes on both January 27th and February 3rd. I feel like the 27th of January was a bigger date than February 3rd, although as I record this, it's February 5th, so uh, we haven't had a lot of uh, time to analyze what happened over the last two days. Um, Probably these are just tweaks to the core quality update that was released. Uh, That update was released on January 13th, Although most sites that saw effects from that upset, uh, update saw them starting January 14th. Um, and it's not uncommon for uh, in the weeks following a core update for us to see little tweaks as Google turns some dials and, and figures out uh, how they want to adjust the changes that they made. So we haven't done an in-depth analysis of what has happened Um, at the end of January, early February, if it turns out that there is a lot of talk or we're seeing a lot of clients come to us saying that they've lost traffic at this time, uh, we'll look into it in more detail. But for now, I think we can call this just sort of a tweak to uh, core quality, most likely. Um, But let's talk about this idea of Google not indexing low quality content. there were a lot of people complaining on Twitter and in other help forums uh, lately about the fact that some of their new content is not getting indexed. Um, and I asked several people for examples of content that was not getting indexed and uh, really didn't get a lot of people responding. Um, and so, and I can understand that. I mean, I think people didn't want uh, their content called out as low quality content, perhaps. Um, but I have a theory. Uh, and so let me, let me before I give you this theory, let's sort of talk about how we got there. When people started talking on Twitter about the fact that uh, they couldn't get new content indexed, um, John Mueller tweeted and he said very clearly, quote, there's no issue with indexing new content. This is an unusual statement for John because usually John is very, very um, – 
careful about what he says. I mean, he knows that people like me and like Barry Schwartz uh, and others that are listening to this podcast too, that we take every word he says and we go, okay, can we, is there a story here? Is there something we can learn here with this? Um, and I feel for John, I, I, you know, we try to do it with respect and to not uh, sensationalize everything he says. And here I am uh, picking apart, you know, there's no issue with indexing new content. Um, maybe I'm a bit hypocritical here, but what I'm trying to say is for John to come out and clearly say, look, there's no issue here is unusual. Normally what John would do is say, oh, well, we'll look into it. We'll have the team look into it. Maybe there's something going on. I think that John knows exactly what's going on. So then uh, John tweeted, and I'm going to quote him here. If your site relies on manual index submission for normal content, um, and I'll interrupt here to say, what he's talking about here is if you can't get your content indexed without going into Search Console and asking Google to index the page. Uh, so if your site relies on manual index submission for normal content, you need to significantly improve your site. Search Console does not fix your site. You need to do that yourself. So John's sort of implying like, look, if you can't get content, content into Google's index, then this is not a Google problem. It means that your content is lower quality. Now, I think it was last week, it might have been two weeks ago, it was around the time of the January core update. Gary Ish tweeted uh, this GIF, um, uh, funny GIF, and he said, everyone's reaction when low quality and spammy content is not indexed anymore. I really think that Google's made changes so that they can recognize content even before it gets in the index. Um, and this is probably connected to BERT. Uh, I'm giving it a lot of theory here, but these are my thoughts. I think it's connected to BERT and Google's ability to very quickly understand language now. Um, I think in the past, we, let's kind of think of what kind of signals Google could use to determine whether content is spam. Um, they can determine, they can look at the link profile. You know, if there's content that nobody's ever linking to, it's coming from a domain that nobody ever links to naturally, well then Google might say, well, you know, is this content really high quality? Uh, I think they can also look at engagement metrics. Um, I've talked about this before, but when you sign up for Chrome, you have to click a little box that says, uh, yes, uh, Chrome, you can use my information and you can see which websites I browse, which links I click on. Well, if Chrome wants to see that, I think that's being fed back to Google, that Google can say, yeah, you know, nobody's ever engaging with this post. It's probably not high quality content. Um, and I think that in the past, we talked about this sandbox, right? Uh, uh, that um, you would index, you would produce new content, publish it, and it would have difficulty ranking for a period of time. Uh, and people would say, oh, the sandbox is, at this point, it's three months, or, you know, they'd make up a number. And after three months, it was like Google decided, oh, yeah, okay, well, you know, this content is probably good, and we'll let it rank. Um most SEOs that I know don't believe that the sandbox is still in existence. Um, and so what we're seeing is a lot of people in the black hat community are complaining that they can't get their new content indexed. Uh, we put some stuff in newsletter uh, and there's some quotes that I just went through pages and pages of a thread on black hat world. And 
One person said, you guys are playing a whack-a-mole game with Google. The game will get you nowhere, and trying to index what Google is de-indexing is a waste of time. And the whole discussion is people saying, look, I put content out there, I submitted it to the index, and uh, it either didn't get indexed or it was indexed for like a day, and then it disappeared. So think about it from Google's perspective. Think of how much low-quality content is produced on a daily basis. I would imagine it's in the number of millions or billions of pages. Like there's probably an insane amount of content that gets produced on a daily basis uh, that goes into Google's index. So if Google can now recognize whether content's going to be helpful to people and determine, oh yeah, this is not really helpful content, why would we want to index it and not index that? Think of how much money that will save Google. I mean, now they've got millions or billions of pages every day that they don't have to store uh, in their, I mean, they're not storing the actual pages, but they don't have to keep in their index. So this is interesting, right? Uh, and I think that um, we're going to see more of this to come. There are people still who can get spam content indexed. Uh, I put some stuff in newsletter about, uh, there's a Twitter account uh, called SEOwner. And um, this person has been very helpful in uh, giving some insights into the black hat side of SEO. Um, and what they're doing is uh, producing some spun content. So spun content is essentially you take an article and then you put it through software that just changes the words so that technically it's unique. Uh, but usually it's not the highest quality. And so I haven't seen these posts. I'm assuming that they're low quality posts. And um, some of the posts that they're trying to index will index, but most of them won't. And uh, they can't see a difference in, you know, which types of ones are indexing or not. Uh, I came up with a theory, again, very much theoretical, uh, that perhaps Google can use natural language processing and then say, ah, well, this page that is we're trying to put into our index is talking on these subjects, and we already have uh, 400 high-quality posts on this topic, um, and judging by the quality of what we've extracted from natural language processing, it's probably not going to be something that's ever going to rank in the first, you know, several pages of Google, so why even bother putting it in our index? That's my theory. So I think this is something that we're going to be talking about uh, for quite a bit of time. Um, and if you have pages that you cannot get into Google's index, in newsletter, we've kind of unpacked a bunch of things that you can look at to try to figure out why. Um, I'm really interested in looking at some client sites. Uh, should we, I don't think we've had anybody actually contact us uh, saying that they couldn't get stuff indexed. Um, but I think the majority of the SEO community is not on to this yet. And they're going to start noticing that uh, less and less of their new content is actually getting into Google's index. So we're going to keep an eye on this. If you have thoughts on this, then please do share them with me on Twitter. Um, I would love if uh, some of you could share with me content that you've really struggled to get indexed in the last couple of weeks that you feel is high quality content. I'd love to, to take a look at that. Um, you can tweet at me at Marie underscore Haynes. And um, I think if you... Uh, don't want to mention it publicly. Our new Twitter account for Marie Haynes Consulting, I believe, has open DMs. Uh, and so you could share the link with uh, that account. It's MHC underscore Inc. I-N-C. And our um, social media manager, Summer, 
We'll get that to me uh, if you want to share a link privately in that uh, that forum. Um, so let's move on. Let's talk about affiliate sites. So I've been mentioning over the last couple of episodes of podcasts that we really feel that with the January core update, one of the focuses was on Google making it so that um, affiliate sites that aren't very straightforward with their uh, affiliate links potentially are seen as lower trust. Um, and lower trust generally means that you don't rank as well. Uh, and so what we saw was when we looked at a great number of keywords for uh, pages that improved um, or declined, that there was a correlation between um, sites that very clearly uh, told users that yes, you're clicking on an affiliate link if you click on this link, uh, tended to do better with this update. Where Whereas sites that had affiliate links that just looked like every other link on your site um, were potentially uh, losing rankings. Now, uh, we don't know 100% for sure if this is what happened. And there could be something else going on around affiliate sites. But we're not the only people that noticed that affiliate sites were heavily hit uh, with this update. There's a, an article uh, by Glenn Alsop where he analyzes a whole bunch of different affiliate sites um, and, uh, you know, comes up with some conclusions. Uh, I think they were slightly different than ours, um, which is totally okay. Uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that um, something happened with affiliate sites. Now, uh, there was a discussion on Twitter this week where somebody asked John Mueller whether Google could consider it deceptive if a site was cloaking their affiliate links. So let's talk about cloaking. Um, most of you probably know what cloaking is, but I would imagine that some of you are unclear on this. Cloaking is essentially uh, where there's some deception uh, in regards to links. And, um, you know, if I, uh, a, a very uh, bad example, I believe there was Years ago, there was a site um, that was ranking for some Disney World terms. And if you clicked on links thinking you were going to Disney World, you were actually sent to a very nasty adult website. Um, and, uh, and it was deceptive. Um, maybe that's not the best example of cloaking. But uh, what I'm trying to get at here is um, sites that use... And I'm hesitating here because I don't want to call this cloaking, but it could be. If you're using pretty links or uh, slash go links, what I mean by that is, let's say I have a product page and um, I'm doing a review on a particular type of product and I uh, mention the product and then I link to Amazon with my affiliate link. Okay, that's one thing. But what if I link to, um, if you hover over that link and you see, ah, this goes to mysite.com slash go slash product. And then that redirects to Amazon containing my affiliate ID. Why do people do this? They do it. The main reason to do it in my mind is so that users don't know they're clicking on an affiliate link. It's deceptive by nature. Uh, and uh, people might argue that, okay, maybe it looks better for the user. I don't know. Somebody asked John Mueller whether this was okay, whether it was acceptable. Um, and he didn't really fully answer this, but he did say, uh, if you're talking about, because somebody commented, well, look, if users hover over it, they can clearly see that uh, it's going to a, a URL that um, is a slash go. And, you know, most users should understand that that's an affiliate link. And John said, well, that assumes you're using a desktop computer uh, because on mobile people, you're not going to see, you don't hover over a link, you tap on it, right? Um, and so that could be deceptive to people. So um, something that was very very interesting is that 
when John Mueller, uh, he said, definitely use rel equals sponsored for affiliate links if you can. Um, and to be more complete, affiliate links are not bad. It's fine to monetize your site. Google's okay with that. There's no need to hide them. Just use the right kind of link if you can. So Barry Schwartz wrote an article this morning on Search Engine Roundtable about this. Um, and maybe it's not groundbreaking news. Maybe it is. But I would say if you have a website that uses affiliate links, that you're linking out to your affiliate partners and potentially getting revenue when people click on that link and buy something, then you should consider uh, marking those links with rel equals sponsored. We've talked about this a lot in the past. Uh, rel equals sponsored is just another way of no following a link, but it's even more clear to Google, not to other search engines as far as we know, but to Google that this link is one that's there because the content is sponsored. Um, this is a monetized link. So in uh, our article, we have an article on the January core update, and I go into great detail on what's in the quality raters guidelines in regards to affiliate links. Affiliate links are lumped in with all forms of ads. Uh, they're considered by the quality raters guidelines to be a form of monetization. And uh, it's very, very clear that they should be clearly identifiable to users as sponsored links. Um, they, you know, and, and this is interesting too, because I mean, adding the rel equal sponsored, that's not going to help the user. It's just going to help Google uh, to say, oh, they're being more clear here in the fact that they're linking out um, with monetized links. So, um, in newsletter, we have a whole bunch of things that, uh, you know, you can do uh, to make your affiliate links potentially um, look less deceptive <laughs> to, to users. Um, you know, some of them are as simple as saying like, hey, here's this product which you can buy on Amazon. Uh, so that people know when they click on that link, they're going to be sent to, and I keep saying Amazon, it could be any uh, site that pays you an affiliate revenue. Um, one of the things that we have in newsletter is uh, there's a guide from the Advertising Standards Authority, and Danny Richman on Twitter um, commented that this is a really good set of guidelines to follow for SEO as well. John Mueller liked the tweet, so I think that's his endorsement as well. Um, one of the things that the uh, standards standards, uh, uh, the ASA actually says, is a disclaimer at the bottom of such posts, so affiliate posts, is unlikely to be sufficient. And we actually said that in our article that if you have a disclaimer saying this post contains some affiliate links, that may not be enough. Because if you think about how you search, um, you're not reading every word of every post that you read, right? You're skimming to the section that's important to you and you see this link and you click on it and then all of a sudden, oh, I've just, uh, you know, given my, I have a cookie now on my site with your Amazon affiliate ID. And if I buy something from Amazon in the next few days, you make money from it. Uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. And I feel a little bit deceived. Um, you know, that, that I think that's the type of thing that Google is trying to prevent. So we don't have hard data on this. Um, but I really feel strongly that uh, Google is trying to crack down on any form of deception. So if you use pretty links or slash go or some way of sort of cloaking a link, uh, so that users don't know that they're going to an affiliate site, I would recommend not doing that. Now, I know there is some benefit to doing this because uh, a lot of those, um, uh, I know there's a WordPress plugin that will, I think it's the Pretty Links 
plugin um, that will allow you to see statistics, right? So I can say, oh, yeah, in the last month, I sent 50 people to my affiliate partner and see if that uh, data lines up with what my affiliate partner is saying, like, hey, you sent us 10 people this month. Well, then I can say, well, there's a difference here. Um, but really, really, I think the take home point here uh, is to say that you need to make it clear to users. You can't be deceptive to users. And if you think the only way people will click on this affiliate link is if I make it look not like an affiliate link, that's not the right path to go down. Let's talk about um, something interesting here. Is Google suppressing sites that give potentially harmful information about the coronavirus? Uh, there's been a lot of discussion on coronavirus lately. And... Um, um, somebody asked Danny Sullivan on Twitter uh, whether uh, why Google would rank information on some fake supplement. I think it's called the Miracle Mineral Supplement. I don't know anything about this particular supplement, but it sounds kind of like hokey medicine. Uh, and it looked like maybe Google was manually inserting uh, results to protect people from being hurt by this bad information. And the reason why I say that is because uh, last year, maybe it was two years ago now, could have even been longer, for a period of time, Google was manually inserting a, an official government website whenever somebody did a search for a term regarding drug addiction, alcohol addiction, anything like that. Um, and you would see the SAMHSA, SMA, SMHSA.gov website. And it really looked like Google was manually inserting these uh, at the top of the search results to protect people from... Uh, um, people who ran uh, affiliate websites or lead gen websites that were really good at SEO but maybe didn't have the best information. I don't think that Google is manually inserting. Uh, Danny came back and said, hey, if you do a search for this miracle mineral supplement, you'll find the FDA, um, which uh, he showed a screenshot of an FDA post saying, danger, don't drink miracle mineral solution or similar products. Um, all of this uh, sounds kind of complicated, but I don't think Google's manually inserting the FDA here. I think what Danny's saying is, hey, we're doing a much better job at making it so that only authoritative sites are ranking for queries like this. Uh, I don't think it's 100%. I think you can still find harmful information on Google, but this is the goal. And we've talked a lot uh, in the last year about the document that Google pr produced uh, called How Google Fights Disinformation. And in this document, they talk about when there's a medical query or something specifically about alternative medicine, that Google does all they can to uh, um, elevate results from authoritative websites. And so if I decided I want to make a million dollars selling this miracle mineral supplement, and because I know SEO, I create a website and I find, you know, ways to get links to it and uh, unoptimize it, I'm probably not going to rank for that because I'm not an authority in terms of coronavirus or uh, mineral supplements. So I think Google's doing a good job here. Um, and if you are finding that for your terms, you're continually now being outranked by people who are the absolute giants in your niche, 
it's going to be really hard to fight against that. Um, we have one particular client right now in a health niche where uh, they said to us, look, we want to compete against Healthline and WebMD and, and Mayo Clinic. And we said, look, it's, it's going to be extremely hard unless you can become the authority on this particular medical topic. And they're managing to do it. They're, uh, they're um, top three for most of their queries um, amongst Healthline and WebMD and Mayo Clinic. But what they had to go through was um, essentially PR uh, to get known in the public as, look, these people are the authority in this area. Um, and so if you're being beaten by people who are giant authorities in terms of ranking for your keywords, then the, the really the efforts need to be in making yourself known, making your business known as an authority. Um, and that's getting mentions on authoritative websites, not paid links, but truly authoritative websites in your niche saying, look, this particular business or, or uh, website did this case study and it's pretty amazing. Um, and you need to be known as one of the best in your industry. Back in the the day, uh, you know, you could be a no-name website, and if you knew the right place to get links, you could probably rank. Um, and these days are going now. Uh, so Google is getting better and better at finding uh, who truly is the authority. I personally think that this is very strongly implemented for most health-related queries on Google, and that it will come for other YMYL queries. Uh, and so, um, you know, especially if you're financial, legal, I think Google's getting Getting, uh, even better now and they will do more in the future to make it so that only information from authoritative websites is uh, actually going to rank. Um, we talked a lot last week about uh, featured snippets and the changes that um, Google has implemented in terms of featured snippets. I'm not going to recap those. We have lots of stuff in our past newsletters on this. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about, though, is the right-hand side featured snippet. Uh, if you do a search right now for EAT SEO, uh, EAT SEO, no hyphens or anything, you'll probably see that we have, mariehaines.com has what we used to call the number one organic spot. Um, right at the top of the search results. And on the right-hand side is it flips between SEMrush and there's uh, another website that sometimes is in there. But let's for now, let's call it SEMrush. SEMrush has the right-handed featured snippet. It kind of looks like a knowledge panel because it's in the right sidebar on desktop. Um, and so when the featured snippet changes came out, what was happening was they had the right sidebar and then they Google deduplicated and it meant that they didn't have any listings in the 10 blue links. Um, and what we found was that us having what is now called the number two organic, but was really listed at the top of the page, uh, we, we were getting tons of clicks for this query um, because the featured snippet was over on the right-hand side. Um, and so now uh, SEMrush now also has, I think it's like number four or five organic. And so they are listed in the organic results as well. And I would imagine that they're getting some of those clicks back that they, they lost. Um, so, you know, what does that mean? I think it doesn't mean too much right now because Danny has said that 
Google's working on moving that right-handed featured snippet away from the right-hand side and putting it into the main content. Uh, but I thought it was worth mentioning because I know a lot of you are struggling with figuring out what do we do with these featured snippets. Um, and speaking of which, another thing that has been discussed a lot is what if you don't want the featured snippet? Well, you can opt out of them by using Max Snippet. So Max Snippet uh, tells Google how many characters they're allowed to use as a snippet. Um, you could use no snippet, but then it means that if you get listed in the organic results, there's no description under your listing, um, and that's kind of not good for users. Max Snippet, if you set the number low enough, and I know one study, uh, one test was 50 characters, um, you can still get some description in the SERPs, but it'll be too low for Google to use as a featured snippet. So if you want to opt out of featured snippets, that's the way to do it. However, something that just came up this week is that most voice responses come from featured snippets. So if you rely on voice search for uh, getting traffic to your website, then you don't want to opt out of featured snippets. So that's something to, uh, to consider as well. Um, interesting tip from a recent Google Help Hangout. Uh, how long does it take Google to recognize an index when your site changes? I wanted to comment on this. I, I think most of you probably know this already, uh, but something that John Mueller said was that um, when you make changes on your website, the speed at which Google recognizes those changes and changes the index depends on how important that page is. So if it's, um, he said, usually on a common website, we'll recrawl the important pages like the home page, maybe the higher level category pages every couple of days. And from there, it kind of goes down to maybe once every half a year or so where we recrawl pages that we think are really a lot less critical on this home page. Um, and so basically what he's saying is if you have an important page, in order for Google to recrawl it uh, quickly, you need to make sure it's linked from important places. So your top pages should be linked from the home page. Um, they should be linked from top level category pages. If you have a page that used to rank well, but you just can't get it to rank anymore, take a look and see how deep are, uh, is it in terms of click depth. Uh, most of the crawlers, Screaming Frog, Sitebulb, they'll tell you that type of thing, um, you know, that a page is maybe 10 clicks deep. Uh, and if that's the case, it's probably going to have a hard time ranking. Um, and certainly if you're making changes, it's going to take a while for Google to find those changes and, uh, and make changes in their index. So that's something important to know. Let's talk about jump shot. Um, jump shot. So Avast, um, most of you have probably heard of Avast, which is a uh, antivirus software. Avast has a free uh, version that very many people use. And what happens when you sign up for Avast is that uh, there's a, a thing that you check that basically says, hey, you're giving data to us. And there's been some discussion as to like how clear are they in their wording and is this a breach of privacy and all this. I, you know, my head hurts just trying to think of those things. Um, but what happened was the data that people got. So if you have Avast on your website or on your, on your computer, and you, you know, spend a, a few hours browsing the internet. Well, Avast knows every single page that you went to. They know whether you did a Google search and you clicked on a result and whether you went back to the Google results or whether you ended up on this particular page, how much time you spent there. Well, that's all data that was being sold to tool providers. So in the past, Moz has been very open about using uh, JumpShot data. So JumpShot is 
uh, it was an offshoot of Avast that was basically selling this data. Um, and so Moz was very open about using this data uh, in their keyword ranking tools. SEMrush, um, so there was a big discussion about, you know, will this affect keyword ranking tools? SEMrush has said that uh, JumpShot was one of the clickstream providers they used to use, but it only represents a small amount of their data, and they're already working on ways to get around uh, using that. Other tools have come out and said, no, no, we don't use JumpShot, we don't use clickstream data, and, uh, you know, whether that's true or not, it's hard to say. I've always wondered about these tools that are providing keyword ranking data on massive scales. How can they do that and still stay within uh, Google's terms of service? Uh, because it's not um, in, it's against Google's terms of service to be scraping Google results. So it's not like, you know, I've heard some people say, well, these tools will use uh, millions of proxies and they'll just do continuous Google searches um, until proxies burn out and then they get new proxies. I don't know if that's what they do, but I think many of them relied heavily on JumpShot. Uh, those of you who use, um, gosh, was it Hitwise, I believe, uh, they put out uh, a statement this week saying they're shutting down because of the closure of JumpShot. So um, at this point, I haven't seen any, I mean, we're really looking into keyword ranking data recently. Uh, we're looking at which keywords improved and dropped and uh, with certain updates. And I'm excited in the future to talk a bit more about the process that we're building here. But um, it hasn't affected us yet. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on this. But uh, I, th I, I don't think it's a massive story. But I know a lot of people in the industry are talking about this. And it's massive if you are an, running a software uh, tool that looks at ranking data for sure. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Microsoft uh, had a study recently, and they were listing the most important skills for marketers to have in the 2020s. Gosh, that sounds weird, right? To say 2020s. Um, what do you think the most important skill for a marketer to have is? Well, apparently the most important hard skill to have is SEO. And we see that. There are very few people I feel like the SEO industry, I mean, there's millions of people who list SEO as what they do on LinkedIn. I feel like there's very few people that actually are really good at SEO. Um, and none of us have all of the information. You know, there's areas that we're good at. There are areas that we're weak at. Um, I don't anticipate, you know, I'm not expecting everybody to be good at everything in SEO. But if you're good at SEO, and how do you know you're good? Well, good means that your clients are making money. Um, that, you know, not that you can rank a keyword, because maybe the keyword is something that never gets clicked on, that never, you know, is important. If you can do work where your clients are better off after you've done the work, um, then you're good at SEO. And if you're good at SEO, there's not a lot of people that are. Um, I mean, I'm saying not a lot. I, I, I don't want to quantify that number. Um, but I think it really is a hard skill. So kudos to you if you are getting results for your clients. I would say too. I would encourage more people 
to actually share your good results with your clients. We ask our clients um, in our intake form whether we can anonymously share screenshots from their analytics. You've probably noticed, uh, or maybe you haven't, in newsletter now, when we do share our success stories or in articles that we write, we're now able to use more Google Analytics screenshots as opposed to using screenshots from traffic from SEMrush or Ahrefs. Um, and that's because we've asked our clients like, hey, if we protect your privacy, can we brag about the good work that we're doing? And most of the clients will say yes to this. So don't be afraid to brag about your good work. And I know that's contrary to many people's nature, um, but I think it helps other people. If you say, look, we, you know, we, we discovered that if we trimmed out this thin content, we made these changes in how we produce our content, and it seems like it's helping our clients, well, that can help a lot of other people as well. So I would encourage you to, to do that. I think we're going to end it there. I've just realized I haven't prepared the Q&A section uh, of podcasts, but that's fine. We'll add those in uh, next week um, because we had a lot of stuff to, to cover in this episode. Um, you can reach uh, us at help at mariehaines.com. I'm tweeting uh, most of the time on Twitter, Marie underscore Haynes, and I tweet about uh, things that I see Google changing. Um, and, uh, you know, I try to stay out of the drama on Twitter, but um, if there's something important to SEO, you can usually find that from uh, following me on Twitter. Um, something that I'm really excited about is part three of our webinar series on EAT is coming out in a couple of weeks, um, February 20th. We're still setting the time. Uh, if you go to the MHC Inc. Twitter uh, handle, we've got a poll right now to determine what time is best for people. But um, we're going to talk all about trust what the Quality Raiders guidelines outline as a sign of trust or lack of trust. And uh, it'll be a live webinar, so you can come with questions specific to trust in EAT, and I'll do my best to answer uh, what I think Google is measuring um, or, you know, and most of these things, even if I'm wrong, they're still good things to have on your website. Improving your transparency, improving your reputation, those are all good things for business. We have tons of other stuff in newsletter, um, interesting stuff stuff on uh, useful formulas to use in Excel spreadsheets, uh, third parties auto-populating the booking link in Google My Business, a little bit more on whether or not you can use virtual offices for your GMB listing, just a little bit too much for me to cover all in this episode of podcasts. So hopefully you can find that in episode number 118 of Search News You Can Use. So hopefully you've enjoyed this information. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. 